Hey everyone, welcome back to Then I Got My Ass Beat. I'm Josh. Yo, yo, yo. I'm Neil. Man, Neil, we're both fighters, dude. Why don't we have dope ass nicknames? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, bro? What's your nickname? What's your what, what, what the have you ever had a nickname? Bro, so my nickname is cool, right? Like, but I think it's lame as shit. My nickname was my last name. Dude, they just called me by my last name. That was it. There you go. It's okay, man. It don't really feel like a nickname, you know? <laughs> Mega Ortega. <laughs> yeah, dude, like I'd walk into boxing gym and just like my coach would yell, Ortega. <laughs> like nobody there even knew my first name. Wow. Yeah, that's what the hell of years nobody knew. <laughs> this is Ortega. Man. But yeah, what you, about you, man? You'd be good, dude. You. Yeah, somebody come up with some good nicknames for you, man. Like, you would think so, man, but they haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give myself a nickname. I feel like that's lame as shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, like I've like I've given myself several nicknames. <laughs> I've been lucky enough to have some catch on over the years. <laughs> um, man, we we have a great episode for everyone today. Um, we're talking all boxing. Top 10 pound for pound, boxing versus MMA, and striking versus grappling. We're going to start this off with some quick takes. Uh, We're going to go over the top 10 pound for pound per uh, ESPN. We're only going to spend 15 seconds on it off the top of the dome. Okay. Background music, please. <laughs> yeah, we need some drum roll, man. <laughs> All right. ESPN number one is Bud Terrence Crawford. My take 15 seconds. <laughs> Fine with me. Period. <laughs> <laughs> So for me, Bud, super, super technical, mean. It's a mean-ass fighter. And he will just take away whatever weapon is your preferred weapon. We'll take that shit away from you. All right, number two. The monster, Naoya Inoue. I like Inoue. Inoue's a, he's a monster. He's precise. He dominates. God, I wish he had a a foil, <laughs> a worthy foil. But yeah, I like I like getting away. Fifteen seconds. All right, so uh, I love him in a way. I feel like I've been watching him for like six, seven years now. I've been on the bandwagon early on. He's a killer, man, dude. He just decimates anybody he goes against. But yeah, like you, I wish he had a rival. <laughs> Number three, Usyk. Mm. Higher than I would have thought. I like it. I like it. Uh, Fury's going to be mad about that. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. It shows a little artistic uh, flair (laughs) in the voters. I don't really want to spend my time talking about Fury, but Fury's kind of a bitch for that duck in that fight. But yeah, Usyk totally deserves it. Undisputed cruiserweight. Um, he holds three of the four belts. 
And honestly, I think it would beat Fury, which is probably why Fury don't want it, even for 70% of the purse. <laughs> Man, I'm taking that to the bank, too. <laughs> All right, number four, Errol Spence. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I like Spence. I like Spence there. I like Spence there. Um, I probably would have Canelo over Spence, but that's that's taste. If you're looking at record, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I think I would have Bivol over Spence or at, you know, somewhere in there, like you know. Yeah, man, I I love that tape, dude. You just sound so so enthusiastic about Spence. <laughs> <laughs> I like Spence. I love Spence, but I want to see Spence. I, I want to see Spence and Bud. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I don't think Spence should be for. Yeah, I love Spence, but he he doesn't have the resume that Bud has. Um, but Bud needs to improve his resume too. But yeah, Spence, he he need he needs that big win. All right, number five is Canelo. Canelo, I mean, it's kind of like you know Vulcan UFC right now. I mean, how much do you hold against him? What happened against uh, against Bibble? A um, little bit. Um, I do think five and six is lower than I would have thought, but I get it. I get it. Like in the politics of it all. Um, yeah, I still think. Uh, Canelo's probably still top two or three. Question is, is he on his way down or out? Like Benavidez is going to be a legacy defining fight. Yeah, I, I agree. He needs to fight Benavidez. He's coming off a loss, so I get why he's five. And those guys ahead of him are really good. I'd probably put him ahead of Spenso. Right. But Canelo, is, he, he's so good. He's so good, but he needs to he needs to fight Benavides, especially if he wants to move up back into that the conversation for the top power for panel. Uh number six is Bivol. I like it. The only reason he's not higher is because people don't know about BOB and people in the division, you know, and the the, the the division more, you know, the, the shouldn't be held against him probably at that level, but like yeah, beating Canelo. You deserve in the way that that happened. Deserve points for that. Um, so he could be higher in my book, but like I like where he's at. Um, he's got the resume to pass Canelo under the circumstance. Like it's understandable why he's a spot under Canelo, and why Canelo's where he's at. So I get it. But I like Bill. I like Bill. Yeah, I like Bill too. Um, I don't know if I put him any higher. Like I feel like he's only that high because of that Canelo win. And Canelo was so undersized in that fight. Um, him and Beater Beef one and one A in that division. You know, it's super close. Hopefully they fight soon. Right. Uh number seven is Tyson Fury, the lineal heavyweight champ. Honestly, he's got a case for he's got a case for six. He's got a case to be above Bibble in that. If I'm, you know, from 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 Fury's side, he's pissed about it. He's he's got a case. Um, I like it where it's at, but like Fury's got a good case to be higher than that. For Usyk to be three, and for him to be Deontay, and Joshua has does not have Deontay's resume point blank at this point stage that they're at in their careers and their legacy is very different. So 
for that to be the reward for the wins for both. It, that, uh, you know, it's deserving of a little controversy, but you know, I like it. I feel like Tyson Fury's seven is a good spot for him. Because the thing about Usyk is he's being rewarded not just for his heavyweight stuff, but for his cruiserweight accomplishments. He was, true. The, true. He was a unified champion down there. Moved up, uh, took to Joshua twice. Tyson Fury, outside, outside of the Wilder fight, like, what are the other wins? You know, the Klitschko. I mean. I, mean, I, I get it. I get it. But it has going at the end of his career, though, right? Like, right. Well, he ended his career. It's fair to say, like, no, no. Joshua ended his career because Klitschko came back and fought for the belt against Joshua after the Fury fight. But yeah, like, I that that's about it, right? Like, he's fought Derek White and uh, Shizora. Right. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> that's it, man. And he's he's saying he won't take the Usyk file let's get 70 percent of the purse which is ridiculous that's insane that's insane but ridiculous. but with that said like you, you know you say the same thing with Usyk at the green white level like boo. you know like and then he you know he jumped up but I, like i said to me what Usyk did is definitely more impressive um yeah but you know i i could i could see why he'd have a bone to people at seven number eight is bigger beef I like that. Um, Peter Beef is nice, nasty, efficient. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love Peter Beef. I don't know if I'd put him top 10 pound for pound. Um, I'm not complaining about it. He's definitely he's definitely stronger than Bivol is. He's a better power puncher than Bivol. But watching the last couple of fights, it almost feels like maybe lost half a step yeah and I don't think I've watched him in as, as much detail over time as you have but I have seen him a little bit I like, like I said I think he's very good I think you know it's it's an area where like you said him and Bibble don't have a whole lot of don't have a lot of people at their level you know what I mean but I think he would he would show well you know anywhere you know um, I, I like him I like him yeah yeah those guys has done the most he can for what he's got, you know, for what he's been put in front of him, you know. Yeah, at the end of the day, him and uh, him and Bivol, they need to fight. Like they need to settle that. And speaking of which, I'm gonna keep us accountable. Are we keeping the 15 seconds? No, Bob <laughs> I was I, I was trying to. We did for about the first six, and then <laughs> the back end is. I just I just <laughs> I just kind of gave up on. But we're keeping it short, and right? we're not going too far into it. Uh, number nine is Devin Haney. I definitely think Haney should be above uh, B2B just for the amount of belts and where he's at. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I think I think his next win is you know is, puts him in top five. Yeah, I, I totally agree. He should be ahead of B2B. I mean, he's a champion in one of the toughest divisions. Um, we'll see how that Loma fight plays out. I think if he beats Lomachenko, even if it's close, a win over Loma is huge. If he beats Loma, he's above Spence. Yeah, he should be top five, top six, at least. And then number 10, Shakur Stevenson. 
I like it because we know what Shakur is and who Shakur will be. Um, does does this speak more to his potential and his trajectory and the, where he's actually at? Probably. Um, am I okay with that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, his placement is definitely 100% potential. He doesn't have the resume that a lot of these guys have, but for my money, he's probably the most naturally talented out of all these guys, except maybe Bud. But, like, I'd probably say, like, pure boxing skills, he's probably a little more talented than Bud. Um, Bud has probably a little more intangibles. Mm-hmm. Right. But, and Loma's not on the list, though. Yeah. 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 I, m- I might put Loma ahead of him only because I like Canelo on pure talent, though. I think there's something like Canelo is, Canelo is so talented. Yeah. He, is, he very rarely is, yeah. but show what he, all, all his whole toolbox. You know what I mean? That's the thing I like about Canelo. Now it's to the point, will anybody be able to bring it out? You know what I mean? Like, Golovkin got pissed a little bit. You see a little bit still. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a toolbox, though. Like, like to me, he's maybe got the biggest toolbox in the game outside of Roma. You know what I mean? Especially now that Mayweather's not around. And he has something new. He has something new to his toolbox every single fight. Mm-hmm. Every single fight I watch, there's he shows off some sort of new trick. Mm-hmm. Whether it's head movement, whether it's just a little like a little twitch, a little faint. Like he's always adding something new to it. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Like talent wise, the top three would are definitely Bud, Canelo, and Stevenson, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree on that. Mm-hmm. So that was the ESPN top ten. So I want I want to highlight uh, the Ring Magazine one because me personally, I prefer the Ring Magazine list. Mm-hmm. Uh, top six are mostly the same, different order. Uh, they actually have Usyk one, um, in a ways two. They have Bud three. Uh, and give me a little background on Ring Magazine, because that's like, OG, that's the standard. That's, you know what I mean? Like, exactly. I know about what Ring Magazine was meant and still does mean, you know, in terms of boxing and, you know? Yeah, so Ring Magazine probably has the most legacy of any boxing uh, journalistic uh, content out there. They probably have the best writers. Uh, have their own title shit man like (laughs) like, yeah ring magazine is probably the most legit boxing content out there and uh yeah i find their top 10 really interesting so uh yeah so back to it music was one in a way was two proffer three spence is four alvarez is five bivol is six which matches the espn top six just a little different order Mm-hmm. But they deviate in the bottom four. They have Loma seven, Josh Taylor at eight, uh, Jermel Charlo at nine, and then one Francisco Estrada at ten. Is there one that's of those guys you're going to highlight? Deviation. That's a nice deviation right there, and it's it is, it's really interesting. This, yeah, take it from the top. Take it from uh, seven or six, six, seven, seven. It's I don't want to cover all of them, but is there one you want to highlight? Is there anybody you want to highlight out of those last? Yeah, ones? I mean, I I think I think it was surprising to see Shakur over Loma, but it's understandable. It's understandable. Um, I guess if there's one to highlight, I don't want to be a hater. I just really want to focus on the positives. But like, if I had to scratch somebody from the list, it's probably Charlo. You know, um, on either list, I think uh, you know, 
they just the the resume the recent fights the way that you know it hasn't been particularly compared to the names on the list hasn't been dominant in the ways that the folks on the list have been there's you know uh, but you know I, I, I like I like Charlo and top 15 top 10 seems like a push right now yeah I agree I agree I think yeah, I agree. I don't think Charlo should be top 10. I want to highlight Estrada. I feel like not enough people know about, especially casual. Yeah, yeah. That they don't really follow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he just recently beat Chocolito. You know, Chocolito is one of the greatest small fighters we've ever seen. And uh, Chocolito, they thought his career was dead after that first that first Estrada fight. Mm-hmm. But he came back, he won the second fight. But Chocolito, he put a stamp on it and closed that book. And he's taken, he's basically taken the crown of the lighter weight weight classes. Well, let's just count in a way. In a way, he's a little bit heavier. I think he's one weight class up, maybe two weight classes up from Estrada. But uh, but yeah, the, those really small guys, because Estrada fights at 115. He's definitely the the king down there. He's totally deserving of top ten spot. You think he? You think him in uh, any way over fight one day? I don't think so. No, just I. I see Estrada going up. I see in a way going up too. Probably at the same rate. I, I think it'll be interesting to see if in a way ever makes it up to uh, lightweight. Yeah, <laughs> he'd be small for that. But like we've seen that before, Pacquiao. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, he's got the talent to to definitely hold his own with those guys. Right, right. Yeah. He'd probably struggle with somebody like like uh, Stevenson, Shakur Stevenson, just because the size and the skill. But anybody but I think rules. He, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he matches up good with the other the other guys out there. Devin Haney, that'd be a good fight. Yeah, would be tank. That would be woo. That'd be banger. I know. I know. <laughs> what do you think about Tank not being on either list? It's understandable. He doesn't. He doesn't have a big win yet. Yes. Um, even after the Garcia fight, I don't think that's a huge win. Like he's gonna have to fight one of those one of those top guys, you know, like the top three. I think in that weight class are Stevenson, uh, Loma, and Haney. I think the fight to make would be Stevenson after Ryan Garcia. I think so. I was gonna say I was wanted to see how do you think how do you think it's gonna shake out at uh you know at lightweight. So like one of the things. Like, matter of fact, can I do a random little one minute thing? I want to see if we could do 15 second takes on three possible fights and a bonus. What do you think? You down? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> it's like, like, damn it, deal. All right, listener, you down too. I want you to take, give your takes too. <laughs> All right. So, first one is. Loma versus Haney. Go. Me? Yeah. Start? You start us up. Yeah, I'm so excited for this fight, man. This is a chance for Loma to uh, to come back and cement himself as the king of this division. Or it's going to be Haney that takes that crown from Loma, and he's the one that's going to be reigning atop that division. Real talk. My take, with a win, Loma becomes the boogeyman of lightweight again. He's, he, you know, I think he was once upon a time, and he becomes it once again. I think with the win, 
Haney, like, this may be a crazy move. I think Haney punches his Hall of Fame ticket. Like, he's like low level legend status, like earlier. 15 seconds still. <laughs> Loma by split. <laughs> um, let's see. And let's see. Okay, so the second one is Tank versus Ryan. Go. I, I'm not excited for this fight. I think Tank's I think <laughs> Tank's gonna crush him. Ryan has too many holes defensively. Tank's such a smart ring general. Ryan's got the speed, but Tank's gonna catch him. Uh KO in the eighth. Love it. Love that take. I'm laughing because my same take. I care so much less now, especially with Loma and Haney on the way. Ryan actually might have more to lose if he loses this fight, which is a weird thought. But I like Tank by TKO in eight. I think once he starts breaking him down, new adversity won't be ready. Bad things. Let's see. Next one. What about this Spence Crawford redo? Because you heard today, I saw the news that they uh, they are restarting negotiations. So that fight might be on the table. It still may not be the next one because I think Spence and Keith Thurman um, have something that's in the works. But they're they're back at the table. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't think it's going to happen. If it does happen, I got uh, I got Bud decision. Well, by decision. My take is, man, if y'all ain't scared of each other, I'm glad y'all are scared of being irrelevant. And we go, let's go. And like, but can you get an agent, please? Can you do? Please send this number to Lamar. Pretty please. Get this going. <laughs> and, uh, bonus, bonus, bonus round. <laughs> of course. Canelo Benavidez. Oh. Sorry, just getting the timer back up. I hope that fight happens. Canelo doesn't need to take that fight, and I don't think he will. I don't think he's ducking him. It's just it's not a huge payday, not a high uh, reward fight. But if they do, I think a uh, Canelo decision. Okay, I'm gonna go. Tough, tough fight though. Like I think Benavidez is gonna give a really tough fight. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Benavidez. That's that's a fight for Canelo that separates greats from goats because I think Benavidez has what it takes to beat Canelo. I don't think he will. Um, I like Canelo by decision in that, but I think Benavidez may be his toughest test. You got any more matchups you want to do real quick? Nah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> quick hit <laughs> We need a little thing that goes in good. Got my ass. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh I think Ryan Garcia is definitely gonna have a cool story about how you guys ass whooped and maybe you can come on the <laughs> podcast and share it. <laughs> Go enjoy right. <laughs> we 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 gonna get so much hate. I just think he's super overrated. I don't think he I wish this fight happened five years from now, but uh but we'll see. Um Yeah, I don't know. Like it just drives me crazy that 
I talked to a bunch of casual fans and they think this fight's as close. It's a, it's a close matchup. And it's just, just blows my mind. It's uh, <laughs> Yeah. We're going to get so much hate from his four billion Instagram followers, man. <laughs> Brian reminds me of like a team on Madness, like got a great offense, but like no defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. They look Only great against horrible teams, but like they play a real one and it's like, like you know. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like 2003 Indianapolis Colts. We're right. showing our age. We're showing our age right now, Neil. Yeah, you know they, they absolutely, they absolutely kill. You know, Payne Manning has a touchdown record, and they lose twenty-one to three to New England. <laughs> right, like it's nothing. <laughs> right, and every now and then teams like that do something and surprise everybody. But more and more times than not, we know it happens. You know what? Exactly. Yeah. So this episode's all been focused on boxing. Uh, first two episodes we did focused on MMA. And uh, I kind of want to get into uh, why well, we will probably tend to do more MMA episodes than boxing, despite the fact that both me and you, Neil, I'd probably say we love boxing more than we love MMA. I know I do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I kind of want to discuss why why we just won't be doing as many boxing shows as we would like. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and start. I'll go ahead and start, right? Like, okay. if we did more boxing shows, it'd just be about how disappointed we are that those big fights don't happen. Right. Negotiations fall through all the time. Like, big names don't fight each other until years down the line. Like, that's, that's, that's the big one, right? That's the big one, right? Like, like MMA, they got big fight cars every every month. Right. Top two guys are constantly fighting each other. They're moving up weight classes. They, you know, MMA fighters, they aren't afraid to lose to zero. Yeah, that's true. The zero is huge, huge with boxers. They hate to lose it. They're afraid to lose it. You know, they'll, they'll pad their fight record with like 25 prick attacks, cab drivers, you know, jobbers. Like the more you look into professional boxing, the more it almost feels like, almost feels like professional wrestling. It's like a mix between MMA and professional wrestling, right? Like you've got guys out there whose job it is to lose. Yeah, they don't throw the fight, but the more fights they lose, the more likely they are to be booked against some of these up-and-coming fighters so these fighters can pad their records. Right, right, right. Yeah, and so, for me, that's a big reason. What about you? I think that's a great point. I think, I do think, like, there's, there's just more money in boxing for multiple reasons, right? Um, I I, want to, I, I, there's more money, I think, for the top guys. Right, right. And that's, that's, that, that kind of, that kind of leads me into another one of my points. Is that the undercards aren't as good on boxing cards? You know, promoters spend most of the money to book the main event, and maybe one or two up-and-coming guys they have on their roster. Right. That's about it. So they don't have enough money for the rest of the fighters. You know, right. MMA cards—they go what ten fights deep? Like we we're we're routinely talking about fighters on the early prelims on MMA. But let's be real though, Josh. The reason that there is better competition at the MMA level is because of how the organization is ran and because of how cheap and how poorly the fighters are paid. And because if they, if the MMA fighters could, they would graduate to growing up and being like boxing and definitely boxing's model can evolve and get a little better. But I think the things that we see that are irritants are a result of a more mature industry that does work for the fight. But I do think like, for instance, a big part of uh, like in boxing 
you have big promotion companies and agencies, what if PBC could start its own league and it'd be marketable? They definitely have enough fighters, they, but they couldn't do, you see what I'm saying? That model would- They, they, they couldn't. And right, that keeps boxing, that keeps, that keeps the integrity there, in, in the integrity in boxing, that's funny, but that keeps the integrity there in terms of being able to, you know, being able to make sure that the money's on the table and the fighters get a piece of it. But like the UFC is basically like PBC is its own league. You know what I mean? Like it's got all its fighters. They fight in house. They fight by its own rules. You know, Bellator has got its own. And the promoters have their own league, which is cool. But, it, you know, it, because you can have this gladiator style kind of feel and impact and there's no one's coming and going but like from the fighter side the cost is right like to get that entertainment at that level at that level of exchange right like the, somebody's getting shafted out of it and it's 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 the the fighters in this and i think in boxing that happens less because of the maturity of the industry i do think there's a midpoint that hopefully gets found one day i mean i mean it's not just that right like boxing is kind of strapped legally you know with the ollie act and stuff and I don't, I don't want to get into it too much because, like, that's that's a whole episode on its own, right? Right. I right. definitely want to go into it because I strongly feel like MMA is going in that direction, and probably sooner rather than later. Mm. The more the more fighters start to get upset about their rights, right? Right. You got the whole independent contractor situation. You're independent, but you don't have the freedom of an independent contractor, right? Like, there's going to be a group of fighters that that successfully sue the UFC right and we will probably see the implementation of, the all, of a similar act of all the act right that will give fighters much bigger freedom which will create all sorts of different problems that like I said I don't want to get into we could do we could do an hour just right. just that you know but but yeah like that's uh, that that's a big reason you know unfortunately right because like I said we both enjoy boxing more than MMA, and I really wish we could do more episodes. But boxing has a lot of issues, and they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of stuff to figure out. Yeah, yeah. And like, what's one of the reasons? One of the reasons for me personally that I like boxing during the MMA is I'm just a striking guy, honestly. Right. The grappling is cool, right? Like, I I currently am doing grappling, but I don't love it. I don't like it. <laughs> it's cool. Like, I, I get it. The BJJ fans and the wrestling fans are going to like totally shit on me. <laughs> get, knock me off. I take you down. It's yeah, going to be problems right. when you go out the clan. Right. I share this link in your class. <laughs> shit, man. Like, they got a problem. They can stand up. <laughs> I, would, I, I would bet that I would, I would win against probably 95%. <laughs> So if it's striking or grappling, you're picking striking. I, I love striking, man. That's where that's where my heart's at, right? I, I love I love I love the beauty of it. I love the the technical aspect of it. I I also love I love the violence of it, right? Like it's really hard to just control somebody like you can in grappling. Like chances are the bigger, stronger, more technical guy is going to just dominate their opponent in grappling. Like striking. There's always a puncher's chance, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, it, it, you it, have a I, preference? I do. I'm striking, striking all day. <laughs> and, <laughs> and but there's a big butt on that, right? And like, 
you know, standing grappling is probably close to me, right? Like jujitsu, chinna, joint block techniques. And it kind of leads to why, like, this is an interesting question to me, striking or grappling, because I'm a striker and I'm a, I'm probably a striker, striker in, in a sense, right? Like, and- Can I ask you a question real quick? Sure. So you were, you just mentioned stand up uh, grappling. Mm -hmm. Would you put, would you put the clinch as part of striking or would you put it part of grappling? Because they use the clinch in Muay Thai. They also use it in some kickboxing organizations. They even have, they even have like a minor form of clinching in boxing. Do you consider that striking or grappling or something else entirely? Uh, the clinch is kind of, the clinch is an exaggerated neutral position. I mean, if that makes sense, right? So in in the context that I that it's used, it doesn't have, in boxing, it doesn't really have much offensive position. It has some indirect defense, defensive, you know what I mean? You know, positioning. You yeah. can, of course, get hit while you're in a clinch, but of course it's limited because of the space and whatnot. Um, there, in the art, in arts that have infighting, you wouldn't necessarily have a clinch. What would create the clinch would be getting somebody tied up to where they could move and you would necessarily need a big over clinch to do that you know what i mean but like from there once you, you jam somebody up you can change directions to me a clinch is like stopping the energy somebody's coming forward too much. if you you know you want to change the momentum you want to forcibly do it the only thing you have is your body weight to use so a clinch does that and you're shifting the momentum on some level so you know what i mean i see the clinch like that it's not really it's more of it's definitely a grapple based thing but it's like most basic like i you know what i mean like i don't know if a grappler would be like oh this is a you know they probably would be like it's a grappling move but still yeah i think the clinch is inter interesting right because like grapplers they're usually big fans of clinching because it's a really good way to get somebody off that center line and get the mm -hmm. takedown mm -hmm. but Muay Thai strikers are huge fans of the clinch as well mm. because they're able to really hit you with those knees, hit you with those arms. Yeah, really, really control your neck. Right. And totally pull you off that center line and get you off balance. And so it's really used for both. Um, the boxing clinch, like not so much. You can't do much damage out of it. Like any damage you do do is, is very small. And it's usually coming out of the clinch. It's not in the clinch itself. But like Muay Thai and some kickboxing organizations, they really utilize the clinch. I've been watching a lot of kickboxing Muay Thai, and I really want to start developing a clinch game because it looks super cool. Yeah, I mean, to, it's like one of, to me, the clinch game, it's like if you let somebody get in that close, there's, you know, there's so there's so many things that are already said and implied about the, the situation. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like in a yeah, in a real life situation, if somebody gets their arm, their wrist around your neck, your spine, like, unless you asked for it to be there and you're using that to turn into something, like, it's a really bad position um, to be in. In the prize fighting, you know what I mean? I don't see it used much for countering. You know what I mean? But that's in real life, like, that's how I was taught to you. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, that's, the, you, you use it to, spring off or the surprise or the, you know what i mean like move somebody in one way and then you move a different way or something like that um sorry too i'm, I'm looking at it. i was i was I will, before i lose this thought i'm a striking guy but the more i've gotten into striking the more i've understood like the power of striking 
like being able to strike well, you be able be able to do it from any distance. Range matters a lot in strike, right? And range and angles, you know what I mean? And when you get the closer in you can get, just like the higher a kick is, the more leverage, the more power you can deliver on a smaller kick, on a lower level angle kick. If you can kick up to your head, your your kick to the waist is gonna be three times harder. You know what I mean? Um, so all this to say, um, you know, grappling requires a more comprehensive knowledge of the body, how it moves and how it operates and strikes. Because like locking up to to oh to win in grappling, like you've got to control joints and you control multiple joints to control other ones. So like ultimately you're controlling the spine, right? Like if you don't control the spine, you don't you don't control. And you got to use these other joints to indirectly control the spine and they all move in three-dimensional or you know it's different than just punching a hole in a wall which you know it's striking at its at the at its basic level you know is, is that and so i say that to say you know when you can incorporate the some of the subtlety some aspects of grappling it's calculus versus algebra to me it's calculus versus geometry when you talk about what grappling requires at a masterful level versus striking if you can incorporate that into your striking you can do elite things so like i think it's interesting like some of the high level guys um izzy jones you know anderson still if you notice their striking has a sticky component they look to touch and to make contact with the other person on some level even if the person gets a little bit of striking first they're reaching out though to make contact that light contact is you know it's it's the equivalent of what a grapple does. You can, you, you know, like it, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I like to fight standing up, you know what I mean? So I like, you know, I, the reason I like striking is because I like to fight standing up and it's like the first key to winning any fight is controlling the other person's balance. So, you know, if you're good, if it's getting it balance is the case, like I like to do that standing up. That's just more fun. You know what I mean? But, you know, like I also understand like when I can use what I can use when I can strike in close and combine the fun of striking with all the angles of grappling while standing up I'm in heaven yeah let's let's go a little more in depth in uh, close distance striking of course we've touched we've touched on it a lot the last three episodes yeah yeah we have but, but we just kind of touch on it and so like I definitely want to focus a little bit on it mm-hmm. since we have the time and since we're on the topic like I feel like fighting, all forms of fighting is all about control, right? Grappling is about controlling, basically controlling by taking away that distance, taking away that balance. But long distance striking and close distance striking, they have two very distinct ways of controlling their opponent. Mm-hmm. You know, distance striking, you have you have the jab, you have keeping your opponent away, the lateral movement, left to right. Whereas like close distance striking, you control your opponent with head movement. A little bit of body movement you know it's less left to right movement and more front and back mm-hmm. it's getting it close it's closing that distance without getting hit and doing heavy damage when you get there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah what, no. what what is like the range you would consider close distance close distance to me is within within if a, if a person's arm is extended out you're inside their wrist your shoulders are inside their wrist so in other words if strikes are thrown 
you can't miss. Like you, you know what I mean. Like you're gonna get hit with something. It's just about whether you block it or not. But you're, the, you're com dodging completely, or not that you can't dodge from infighting position. But you know what I mean. Like you're gonna be in the range of the punch no matter what. Whether it hits you or not is a different thing. But like you're gonna be in range. Whereas in in regular punching range or regular striking range, you're like you can get out of the range. You can get outside the the punch, or you can be on the left or right of it. You know what I mean. But you don't really have that option in infighting you you're you're in the range it's just more left right you know yeah i feel like it's the distance that most adequate strikers would feel very uncomfortable if you were in there yes yeah and so uh i want to ask you why is it that there's so many really good talented strikers that feel so uncomfortable when you're in close like that great question being in close requires a different uh different leverage to generate power the reason that it's challenging the reason you don't see a lot of people that are good fighting in close is because most striking requires going you know going putting your weight on one side and you know loading up and then striking right you load up on one side you know and then lean back and then strike it so usually you do that to do you know two things is you know you do add momentum and you know to gain you know to have leverage and uh when you when you launch whatever you're going to launch and so um generating a lot of power from two feet back and then two feet forward you swing your arm and a haymaker all the way back and bring it forward it's not hard gravity and weight will do that right but to generate that same amount of force in moving your arm one foot or six inches or one inch is a lot harder when you can do it though however right like you you still have that long power but you have that short power too you know um and so forgive me i think i lost the question too um i gotta get better at these <laughs> it's all it's all good i was asking why most uh most really good strikers feel really uncomfortable when you're in close on them. you know they're, 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 they're not taught to how to be in short spaces the uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, there's if I had visuals if I had a screen I could it would work so much better it's so easy to jam a, a punch and there's a certain angle that um that if your arm is like at an acute angle you know like under 45 like it's gonna tend to fall back toward itself right like that angle is gonna you know the arm is gonna go back towards itself and, and turn into a line if it's over 45 it's gonna tend to go the other way towards a 90 degree angle right and every, you have several angles on your arm you have one underneath your arm you have one in between your elbow and your shoulder you have one in between your wrist you see what i'm saying so if any one of those is off you the whole thing gets pressed and jammed if all of them are on it's extremely strong and the person on the other end doesn't know where that strength is coming from and so learning being learning how to be aware of that no matter how to train that is a big part of learning how to fight in close and your art has to have a language for that has to have an understanding for that most of the arts that people learn striking from don't have that built into what they do so like how would you figure that out like how it would take a lot of trial and error a lot of painful trial and error and most people don't have time for that in today's day and age you know i feel like strikers 
are very much like prima donnas, almost. Mm -hmm. Not to be mean, but a lot of strikers I've known remind me of wide receivers in football. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah, like like they love they love not getting hit. They love getting the knockout. It's like a wide receiver going over the middle, man. They want to catch that touchdown. Do they want to take that hit though? Right, you right. Not usually not. And so I feel like a lot of strikers they don't want to get hit. They don't want it to be a dirty fight. They want to get in, get out, make it clean, make it fast. When you make it dirty, they're not comfortable with that. They don't practice it. They don't train for it. Even if they do, it's all about getting away from that. It's not so much engaging in that in close fighting. Right, right. I think that's where an interesting dynamic occurs, right? Because like, like you said, strikers have to fight the tendency to get away. Because natural, naturally, you want to get away from the strike and be out. But, you know, strikers have to make themselves and learn how to press and continue, you know, and add forward advantage. Grapplers have a natural forward. Because you, you, you do anything if you can't touch, if you can't, you know. So you have to have a certain level of forward. And they have to learn how to hone that and control it and not be a bull and be just led by the horns and run into walls all over the place, right? And so infighting has an interesting combination of the two. When I learned Wing Chun, one of the things that, you know, one of the first principles you learn is forward pressure. Has to be for you remember this too, Josh, like, has to be forward pressure. There's no forward pressure in your hands. No matter how good your technique is, it's, it's worthless in a real fight. Because you won't know how to counter that force of someone coming in. And that's it. With an infighter, you have to assume that. You have to assume you're dealing with the bull that wants to grapple you and stronger than you is going to grab you and break you over your knee. You're you know, like, and so, uh, you know, it's, you know, the, the analogy of an infighter to me, if, it, if they were a wide receiver, and I think that's a great analogy of like strikers being true, it'd be like Antonio Brown. Like Antonio Brown is would be a good infighter, Pete Antonio Brown. He in there in the mud, gets, gets down and dirty, but can be gone. He can shake you. He can take a hit. He can take it to the house. You know what I mean? All of it from inside. You know what I mean? See, I, I was thinking more T.O., like prime Tio, like yeah, he was a, he was a prima donna, but Tio had no problem going over the middle. The catch with infighting though is that strength and speed, and this is why I think another reason why you don't see a lot of people good at it. Strength and speed won't necessarily help you on the inside the way that they will on the outside. Because on the inside, on the outside, you can use all the momentum, right? You can, you got, you can move back, you can move forward, you can swing. You got space, and you need space to take advantage of length and or at least momentum. You know what I mean? But on the inside, you have to learn how to to generate momentum in very small places, and that requires skill. Because those aren't natural, intuitive angles that you'll find. You have to learn them. You have to practice them. You have to find the, the a feeling that go. You know what I mean? There's a whole kind of intelligence that goes with that and after a while in the beginning you just learn it and memorize it after a while you have to learn it at the point where you can feel it when you're not thinking about it where it becomes intuitive and it's a different type of language right you you're very familiar with it right like and so until that becomes a part of your body's regular way of moving and way of doing it, it's hard to use it effectively you know what i mean in a fight so you know not only just do people have to get exposed to the language they have to get immersed into it enough to actually use it in real life, in real time. And you don't see yeah. that with fighting. Exactly. With the close fighting, it negates a lot of the athletic advantages that right. somebody might have. Right. Because, yeah, the, the close fighting, it's all about instincts and feel. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I learned a lot of that chunk. Like I got really comfortable up close. I got really comfortable feeling people and like picking up little things instinctually mm-hmm. to the point that when I transitioned into becoming more serious in boxing, my coaches would yell at me, right? <laughs> I go out there and spar. Like, Ortega, use your jab. Use that length. What do you do? I just felt more comfortable on the inside. Gotta get close. <laughs> I, I felt. I felt my. I felt like my advantage on the inside was bigger than my advantage on the outside. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I had the close arms, but you know, like we were just talking about, strikers aren't comfortable. So right. when I close that distance. I am comfortable. <laughs> I got the advantage. Man, they're beating them up inside. I can so. <laughs> Damn, I wish I could see you in it. I wish I could see around you. Oh, now, like, yeah. <laughs> Man. But yeah, yeah, that's, that is a big, that's a big piece of it. I would say it's definitely taught me, you know, because I've studied a few in fighting, you know, arts that are specialized in fighting in close. Um, Sirak Salat was one of them too. And one thing that uh, defines these arts is they are developed with the, the the intent to handle multiple opponents with a weapon and a very small confined space like worst case scenario <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you know the people that worked on it like they're they're figuring out like how do i emerge alive in these in these scenarios and so i think one of the things that it taught me is that like in the hierarchy of skills right because it takes skill to do that right like that that's that doesn't not luck right um it's taught me that in a hierarchy of skills, sensitivity really trumps speed and power. And that's something that, you know, looking on the outside, you see the high level guys that do the stuff that looks like magic, you know, and like, how do you do that? And instead of like and learning more and more, it's like, oh, that's what it is. Like sensitivity is what it is. If I can feel your intent through a touch and I'm more skilled, I'll be at the place you, I'll be at the train station before you got there. I'll already be there with your ticket, you know what I mean? Welcoming you on the train, you know? Um, your speed won't matter. You know, if you're stronger and I can feel what you're doing, I can adjust by a tiny angle and jam your ability to put any power on the punch, you know? And so like infighting lets you turn that on and do that, but it's also hard. It's risky. It's harder on the ego. You gotta, you know what I mean? You gotta invest in, it's, it, it, it's one of those things I think, you know, we've talked about this before. I think it's the biggest hole in the UFC right now. I think it's the biggest space for opportunity. The same way grappling was once upon a time, infighting is if you if if we start to see an influx of people not that just aren't comfortable in close because there's some people that are comfortable in close physio jones you know is even you know what i mean there's people that are comfortable in close but i'm talking about people that are really masterful and skillful in close with decent skills on the outside you're gonna see a revolution like in the ufc you know um i truly believe that uh but you know um time will tell yeah, a really good example of that is the uh, DC Stipe fight. Mm. Like, I, I remember that very clearly. Uh, DC versus Stipe 2. Stipe's trying to get his belt back. DC did a really good job the first three rounds, just kind of like picking him apart. And then Stipe switched up his strategy. He started hitting him with his left body hook. Mm. DC had no idea what to do with it. Mm-hmm. He had no idea how to block it. He had no idea what. Yeah. And then, and then he. DC crumbled less than a round later. At at the end of the day, close fighting is a mentality. Right. You, you gotta you gotta have a different type of mentality. You gotta have a different type of feel. Right. But if you don't if you don't mind learning that, you can dirty up and you can dirty up the fight. 
and gained such a huge advantage over most strikers. That's so true, bro. Well, you made a great point with mindset. Like that infighting mindset has a natural advantage over the regular range, you know, striking. You know what I mean? Because the only thing like regular striking doesn't want to get close. That's why it strikes to keep to knock you out and not get close and dirty, not get in there. Like infighting wants to strike and wants to get it dirty. So it's the one thing that's the, you know what I mean? The inherent insecurity of a striker is somebody getting in too close because too close means you can hit me and I can't throw my strikes. Infighters want to start from there. You know what I mean? And the, the advantage that a mindset of a striker has over a grappler is that like, oh, I can pick my point from out here. I can throw a rock and hit you. You know what I mean? Over here, you can fall. You won't even get close enough to touch me. You know what I mean? But like, you know, the where a, a grappler makes an infighter nervous if they can get them off their feet. If the grappler can get the infighter off their feet, now you've got something. Because now the great, you know, like the infighting has to translate in a different direction. If the grappler can't, then you want. And the reason why we haven't seen a lot of great infighters, because you have, there have been people that have tried to take infighting styles, Wing Chun or whatnot, and get up there. But usually they're not well-rounded enough in other areas to do so. So like, you have to have a really good route. You have to learn how to have a good horse. You have to learn how to sink. You have to learn how to control your balance. At a, at a high level to be an effective infighter. And there's a lot of people that can do fancy demos, right? You know, with people in a park, but not necessarily hold up against, you know, real pressure, you know? As you brought up uh, grappling, about how grappling will make an infighter really nervous. Mm -hmm. Think about striking and grappling. A striker with no grappling experience, any sort of grappling is going to make them nervous. Yeah. Guy with two months of BJJ training is going to make a striker nervous. <laughs> In fighter, you know, outside fighter, doesn't matter. Like if you close the distance, take them off their feet. Like the whole thing about striking is staying on your feet. If you could take it off your feet, right. it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Fight. <laughs> By itself, where strikers don't know how to stand up. <laughs> Bro, I feel, I feel like <laughs> insulted strikers, ravelers, fucking half the top ten powerful. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the spirit of what we do, y'all. We inviting and ask for, but if you want to whoop somebody's ass, you come find me because I need to ask whoop it. <laughs> We're gonna do a bonus section on what it takes to be a warrior one of these days. It's gonna start with asking. <laughs> we are we are for sure gonna do a little short podcast about about what it means to be a warrior. That'll that'll be coming up next. Gotta start by getting your Steph Curry jersey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Meet me at the Chase Center. Man. Hell yeah, I can't afford that, but. I know, right? Like outside the state center, right? <laughs> and you know, the big screen outside. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll just tailgate right outside. Right. Right. Remember the good old days when we could afford oracles. <laughs> Man. Nobody knows that we're losing. Well. <laughs> when they were losing. <laughs> Man. Hey man, we had Monte Ellis. <laughs> we believed. 
But uh, anyway, yeah. yes. I, I, I 100% believe that year till uh, till we met the Jazz. <laughs> I know. I was like, if we beat the Jazz, oh my god, that'd be amazing that year. But hey, we got brought back to Earth, Durant, Carlos. They was like, nah, 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 nah. nah. <laughs> but hey, this was dope. We are we we yes, are, yeah, send huh? send everybody off, Neil. Hey, if you want to train martial arts if you want to just understand why fighters do what they do or if you just want to listen to people talk about like fighting and martial arts and stuff like keep checking us out find out how to send us a question and i want to like hear from y'all i want to like get a question answer something like something like i the, the we me and josh love talking about this and other people love talking about it too so like however we can get folks involved in the conversation i want to do that and i just had to say that for leader oh yeah man i love it everybody have a great week we'll see you guys next time peace signing off to the next ass whooping <laughs>